if you're a nonprofit, the last thing you want to do is fail because you're worried you're going to lose your funding. You're worried you're going to not be able to pay your payroll. You want to play it conservative because you want to keep getting your funding, but you also want to be conservative because you want to make sure you're helping the people that you're trying to serve. The verb scaling becomes the really operative word, which is to say something is scaling when it starts to achieve real acceleration of impact. I think one of the mistakes that people make as nonprofit leaders is to think much too much about how their organization is going to make a difference and not enough about how their organization can connect to other organizations that are doing similar work. This is Mission to Scale, a podcast that reveals the tools, mindsets, and strategies that organizations and funders need to make the most impact because the world's biggest problems need solutions at scale. I'm your host, Dan Varelovitz. Before we start today's episode, I wanted to thank you all for supporting the first season of Mission to Scale. I'm so excited to share that we're a top-ranked nonprofit podcast on Apple Podcasts in both the US and the UK. We're so grateful, and we couldn't have done it without you, our listeners. Throughout the season, I've had the great pleasure of interviewing the most brilliant voices in the social sector, who are not just experts, but also operators when it comes to scaling their organizations. For our season finale, I wanted to highlight some of the tools and strategies our guests have shared over the past few episodes. I'm starting us off with my conversation with Anne-Marie Slaughter, CEO at New America. We talked about designing for scale and why it's a critical mindset to have before you start any project. You've written about innovation and that it needs to be people-centered, experimental, data-enabled and designed for scale. What does design for scale mean and how can leaders, organizations think about scaling impact from the onset? That's a very important consideration at the outset of any project. So that process, which uh, Tara McGinnis and I call the new practice of public problem solving, does start with human-centered design. It looks at data, data data-enabled feedback. But it says, from the beginning, you have to have a strategy of scale. Now, some of this we were aiming at social entrepreneurs who think that they're going to achieve massive change without involving government. And Tara and I are both people who have been in the federal government and who believe that in the end, you know, no matter how many billionaires you mobilize, it's not anything like the money that the power of state taxpayers or city taxpayers or national taxpayers can wield through the government. So there, what we're saying is you may be a fabulous social entrepreneur, but you ought to be thinking at the beginning, I'm going to prove out my concept. I'm going to create a for-profit mission-centered company, for-benefit company. But at some point, even if I'm really successful, I'm going to have to work with government. I might have to get policies changed to enable more companies like mine. I might have to sell what I'm doing to a government agency in a way that they partner with companies like mine. 
But you really have to think at the outset about how you're going to get to government scale. The flip of that is if your government don't assume you know what works. This is where you and I started. Start with the idea that there are lots of people out there already trying to tackle this problem and that just because you're the government, you don't know and often you are not close enough to the actual problem. So start with pilot projects, start with collaboration with the civic and private sector, and then gradually build to the scale that you have. And I would say the same thing with really big sponsors. I'd say the same thing about replication strategies. But I do believe there's a kind of California mantra that we can do this on our own and we're better than Washington and we're better than Sacramento. And I think most of those cases fail in the end because no matter how much they achieve scale from where they started, it's not that massive scale that government can bring. Meanwhile, in my conversation with Anne May Chang, CEO at Candid and author of the best-selling book Lean Impact, we talked about what stops leaders and social organizations from pursuing scale. So this idea of you know wanting huge progress and scale, you know, impact at scale remains a buzzword, but you know, it's one that certainly you and I talk about a lot, you know, wanting to change the world at, you know, ever greater levels. It's widely talked about, but I think probably fair to say little understood. And the ideas you're talking about of, you know, innovation in the commercial sector, you know, that there is this incentive, the financial incentive that makes that happen. From your perspective, what do you think are the reasons, the sort of root reasons why we don't see that happening as much in the social sector? What are the problems or the disincentives that are stopping scale of impact happening in the social sector? Yeah, it's a really good question. I I don't think it's any one problem or any one player. I think it is the way the sector functions as a whole. And I think everybody sort of holds this stasis in place uh, that the the norm is that there is very little incentive to take risk. There is a strong disincentive to fail. If you're a nonprofit, the last thing you want to do is fail because you're worried you're going to lose your funding. You're worried you're going to not be able to pay your payroll. Like you want to play it conservative because you want to keep getting your funding, but you also want to be conservative because you want to make sure you're helping the people that you're trying to serve. Yeah. And when you're talking about people's lives, like I think it, there's an innate conservatism that comes with like, we don't want to take any risk with people's lives. Like we want to be very careful and do what we know works. And all of these things, you know, that are innate to the social sector and also part of how it's evolved over time kind of keep us in a space where most organizations are really trying to do tried and true things. I could not agree more. And I think, you know, one of the attractions of the book is just that it lays out how this can happen practically. But maybe as a, you know, even though it lays out a process, I think one of the challenges is always as a change maker, as someone in an organization who actually wants to use these things, you know, you can read the book, of course, you can get to understand in theory but how would you recommend people get started and get over some of those barriers? Let me suggest three specific and concrete things that people can maybe- That would be great. You know, who it. are listening to this can take home and do tomorrow. Um, the first is to set an ambitious goal. 
Like if you have a goal, if you look at your strategic plan, not your mission, which is often, you know, sort of vague, like, you know, end poverty or achieve world peace, right? But but when you look at your quantifiable goals, which are usually the goals you have in your strategic plan, if they are something that you can imagine how you're going to get there, they're probably not ambitious enough. <laughs> so look at the size of the need and set a goal, and it can be further out if you need to do that, that you don't yet know how you possibly can achieve. That scares you a little bit. So really have a gap. So you have, you're forced to work differently. Right. Because if you have a goal where you can sort of see how you're going to get there and you're going to have to work really hard, there's no reason to take any risk, right? You're just going to try to work a little harder, try to work a little smarter. But if you have something that is 10x what you're currently doing or 100x what you're currently doing, which actually maps to the size of the need that exists in the world, this is often the case, Mm -hmm. then you flip the risk equation on its head. Because what happens then is that if you continue to do what you have been doing, you are for sure going to fail because you know that the thing you've been doing is only going to get to 1% of the solution that you need. Right, right. Um, and so if you take a risk then, there's at least a chance you might succeed. And so turning that equation upside down, I think, is a really important starting point. The second thing I would say is to establish those key innovation metrics. What are the key drivers of getting to that? Is it reducing your costs significantly? Is it increasing your success rate significantly? Is it improving the adoption rate significantly? What are the key drivers that need to change in order for you to get on that different trajectory Mm -hmm. and and have those front and center? So you're like, today we need $1,000 to achieve one success or to reach one person. How do we get that to $100? And then that becomes your innovation challenge and you can start following that. Right. And then the third thing I would say, is, and this is a more of a culture change, is to start practicing playing devil's advocate. One of the things I found that was very different coming from the tech sector to the nonprofit sectors in the tech sector, you know, everyone's always beating up on all the ideas that are out there, trying to make it better, trying to poke holes in it. In the nonprofit sector, because we're all like sacrificing, you know, we're not making as high salaries, we're working really hard, we're, you know, really putting our hearts and souls into the work that we do. The result is that we support each other. It's one of the wonderful things about the sector is how supportive people are of their colleagues and in their organizations and in other organizations. The downside of that is that it's kind of taboo to ask the hard questions, to poke holes in things. And we need to allow ourselves the space to do that more. So just have, you know, have like a red team session, you know, a session where you're playing devil's advocate and ask the hard questions of either your current solution or an idea that somebody has for a potentially leapfrog solution, ask the hard questions of what might cause this to fail. Often a core element of achieving impact at scale is replicating your work effectively. And my favorite thought leader in this space is Kevin Starr, CEO of Malago Foundation. There's a bunch of things you've got to get right you know, from the finances to behavior change you mentioned, what are the things you've got to get right in order to get that curve heading in the right direction towards scale? The first thing you've got to do is you've got to turn that idea into a systematic replicable model. And that actually is the thing that you take to scale. And I'll add 
a systematic replicable high impact model. And a lot of the, the early stage companies, we organizations we work with, that's what they're working on. They're R&Ding that highly scalable model. And to even do that, you kind of have to get into the, the most important concept around scale for us, which is the doer and the payer. So you're developing that model and the chances of that model reaching its full potential with your efforts alone, with you being the only one replicating that model is pretty much zero. And so you really have to think about at potential realizing scale, who's replicating this thing that we came up with? Is it businesses? Is it nonprofits, NGOs? Is it government? That's kind of your three choices. And the earlier you get that sorted out, the better your design is going to be to go to scale. And then you can start looking at critical scalability questions like, well, is this simple enough for my doer to do? So if I've designed a model and I want government to be the one replicating it at scale, well, is it the kind of thing they do? And is it simple enough that they actually could do it compared to other stuff that they do? You can really start analyzing scalability. And then, of course, the next question is just as important, ultimately, as the doer at scale is who's the payer at scale. And again, you've got a limited set of questions at, at big scale. It's, is it philanthropy? And, and we all know that philanthropy is much better at getting stuff started than really scaling it up. Or is it taxes? Well, essentially, is it government, either with their tax money or the money they get from big aid, or is it big aid funding it directly? So you've got a limited set of doers and payers, and you have to design a solution that's simple enough for your doers to do and cheap enough that your payers will pay. When it comes to replication specifically, you've written about thinking of your model as software and the organizations that will replicate it as the hardware. Could you talk a bit more about that and why that framing you think is, is helpful and important? Yeah. If you want others to replicate your model, and that's what we hope a lot of people want to do, it is kind of like you define that model really well and you systematize it and you figure out how to replicate it yourself. Well, that becomes like software. You know, you start running it on your own hardware, you develop it on your own hardware, but it really becomes something that needs to be run on other people's hardware. In other words, replicated by their organizations. And I just don't think we've thought that through very much. We don't have standardized ways of going about that throughout the nonprofit world. And, you know, there's not that many organizations like Spring Impact really trying to make that happen. And so just at a simple level, we tried to look over you know, our experience. And, and what we find is that if you want to help somebody actually run your software on their hardware, well, you need great materials to make that accessible to them. You need a great training process or some other process to somehow help them learn. And you need to embed the systems, be they implementing systems or performance management systems, logistical systems, whatever made the thing work in the first place. So you've got to have the materials, the process, and the systems. 
And then you kind of kind of be able to go through the should do, could do, would do to find out who your customers really should be. And then you've got to create the commitment on the part of those customers, be they government or bingos or I don't know, whomever else, and get the commitment to do it right. And then you've got to do the customer support. In other yeah. words, you've got to be there for them over time. And so people say, well, give us a good example. And it's kind of like, I don't know. I haven't seen one. I haven't seen anybody really put all that together. I think some of the professionalized community health worker organizations are really starting to innovate on this. And I'm excited to see what they come up with. But I think that the whole software on hardware thing is something that needs to be a major focus of our whole industry. So once you've made good progress in your scaling model, what happens next? I thought this was a great segue to my chat with Bart Houlihan, co-founder of B-Lab, the nonprofit organization behind the B Corp movement. B-Lab's mission is to make business a force for good. Here, Bart and I discuss turning their vision into action and the greatest challenge they face in scaling their impact. You set your sights, you know, not just at companies, which is tough, but actually on transforming a system and really working for better impact across just globally, you know, vast numbers of firms and in a huge space. But then, of course, you've got the challenge of translating that into action. So what happened there? How did you translate that big, audacious vision into action? Well, our approach to trying to tackle that vision is pretty straightforward. Dan, like we believe in the power of leadership. We believe that if you can identify leaders and shine a light on them and tell their story, you can inspire millions of others to follow, to be more like those leaders. After we've settled on this vision of a more inclusive, more equitable, more regenerative economy, we began focusing on trying to highlight leaders and provide tools for others to follow to build a movement a movement of people using business as a force for good. And that leadership set is indeed our community of certified B corporations. They became the bullseye that really manifested that which we were trying to create, right? If we could show to the world that you could make money and make a difference and be more resilient as a business and be successful, that we thought there would be real energy for others to want to try to follow that lead. And so that's been our strategy all along. Build a movement by focusing on leaders and providing tools for others to be more like a certified B Corporation. Some of the listeners may not know, what does it mean to be a certified B Corporation? Sure. This is a corporate certification that holds companies to higher standards of social and environmental performance that have been built to last through a legal change and requires transparency about how they're both excelling in certain areas and where there are areas for improvement. And the idea there is to fundamentally shift corporate governance so that companies are accountable to something other than just maximizing shareholder value. And we do that by rewriting corporate governing documents where we embed in the law and the accountability of these businesses, a commitment to consider the impact of their decisions, not just on their shareholders, but also on all their stakeholders. Okay, so you had this audacious vision. 
you know, you need the leaders, you know, you need the tools. But the reason we're speaking is that then things started to move. You've made quite a lot of progress. Where are you now with the B Court landscapes? What are the current challenges you're facing? The single largest challenge we have right now, Dan, is to scale with integrity. Demand is incredibly strong for this movement. And we need to make sure that we continue to uphold the rigor and the integrity of the overall movement while also building something that's inclusive and welcomes people in. That that admittedly is going to be, I think, our challenge for the foreseeable future. Now, backing up as to where we are, we now have about 4,100 certified B corporations. They're in 80 different countries, 150 different industries. And the commonality is they're all using business as a force for good. They're multi-billion dollar businesses down to sole proprietors and focused on every element of impact you can imagine, Dan. And so that, that's the community of leaders. And remembering kind of our theory of change, by shining a light on them, we create these tools for others to follow. One of the tools is our impact assessment, the B impact assessment. That's the tool we use for certification. But Dan, we've decided to make it a public good and allow anybody to use it just as kind of a do-it-yourself consulting tool to measure, manage, and improve your impact. Embedded our resources and best practice guides and videos. You can set targets. You can get quarterly or annual reports on how you're doing towards those targets. It's completely free. It's totally confidential. And we currently have about 160,000 companies using that tool to be more like a B corporation. The third and final vehicle that we use for scale is around that legal framework. Remember how we were saying the companies that are certified have to rewrite their articles? Well, it turns out that in a lot of jurisdictions around the globe, you can't just rewrite your articles of incorporation because it's against current corporate law. And so we've had to create a new legally recognized corporate form, something called a benefit corporation. And so now in 43 states here in the U.S. and seven countries, you can register your business as either a traditional corporation, a nonprofit corporation, or a benefit corporation. And that legal framework, again, changes fiduciary duty, right? It makes the company accountable to balancing the value they create for both shareholders and society. We've shared really important concepts actionable insights and tools on the first season of our podcast. But each episode was also filled with inspiration and motivation from our guests who have lived experiences as social impact leaders. We'll end with this message from Jeru Bilamoria, who co-founded some of the social sector's most innovative non-profit organizations and monumental partnerships, including Catalyst 2030. The important thing is you have to be an honest broker but don't forget when you're an honest broker, you're making sure that the deal gets done. So you're always moving people towards the goal at their pace, not at your pace. I've had enough and more times when I have tried to move people at my pace and people have said, shut up, wait. And I always say, God gave you two ears and one mouth. Listen and then speak only when it's necessary. There's something about the confidence that you've brought to these, the strong vision and then the confidence that galvanizes these movements to happen. And so I think that fundamentally what you've said makes total sense. 
And then there's just the confidence to go out there and do it. Where does that come from? Where does your drive to just go out there and do it come from? And how can others work towards that? Because I don't think too much. <laughs> it's a, I wasn't planning on facilitating Catalyst in any way. It was a WhatsApp group. We thought it was a great idea. There was no money. So I said, okay, let's do it. I was retired. Not too much thinking. <laughs> I'm sorry, Dan. Honestly speaking, I think we as entrepreneurs need to stop taking ourselves so seriously. And we need to learn to go with the flow. And whereas I am extremely strategic with strategy plans and all of that is very, very important. Yeah. But you can't let that dictate the network. So what tips would you give to an entrepreneur or someone within an organization who wants to really step into building a system strategy? Have an idea about what you want to change. Convene as an honest broker. Ensure strategic connections which need to happen. Celebrate the good moments that you need to have because it's a tough, tough, tough journey. Calibrate. Make sure you measure where you're going. Always take stock, you know, on how you want to do it. Create a sense of collective energy so to cohere around things that you're doing, you know. And remember, at every level, ultimately, be aware of your own consciousness and of others because then you can change the collective consciousness towards the goal you want to achieve. That wraps up season one of Mission to Scale. While we're on a break, you can catch up on episodes you might have missed. I know there's always a few words at the end about giving us a review. I would really, really appreciate it if you could take a few moments to do so. It makes such a difference to getting the show out to more people and exposing those dedicated to social change to ideas and approaches that can help them do more. Thanks so much. If you love Mission to Scale, please do recommend our show to a friend or colleague and you can subscribe or follow our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And that has the added benefit of being alerted to when our even bigger and better next season comes along. Thank you so much for joining us, and I look forward to much more in season two. Mission to Scale is produced by Spring Impact and Human Group Media. As this is the last episode of the series, I'd like to give special thanks to Camille, Maverick, and Fernanda at Human, who've not only ensured high quality throughout, but also been great fun to work with. And Maverick gets an extra shout out for writing our awesome theme tune. On the Spring Impact side, thanks to our wonderful comms manager, Iulia, who has tirelessly been working on promotion of the podcast to great effect. If you want to learn more about our work at Spring Impact, visit springimpact.org and follow us at Spring Impact on Twitter. Mm-hmm.